You've tuned into another episode of Radio Free HPC, the show where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and a variety of high-tech topics. I'm Dan Olds from Intersect 360 Research, joined as always by my co-hosts, Henry Newman of Seagate Government Solutions, Shaheen Khan from Orion X, and our near-millennial standout, Jesse Lanham. In association with our media partner, HPC Wire, let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody, welcome to another edition of Radio Free HPC. I'm Dan Olds, and this episode is going to be plenty scintillating because it is our SC21 roundup. We have a nearly full crew, and I guess that's actually the first thing to talk about here is things change. Things change in our industry, things change in the world, and they change fast. Our pal Shaheen Khan is no longer with us off pursuing other things, but we will somehow, somehow manage to survive and soldier on. And who will we do it with? Well, we're going to do it with Jesse Lanham out in West Lafayette. How you doing, Jesse? I'm doing all right. Looking forward to this roundup. We get to live vicariously through you and SC. Yes, as most people should. And we have Henry Newman speaking to us from his survivalist compound ensconced behind 20, 22 and 7 eighths inches of rammed earth in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Dan, I'm shivering because I'm living vicariously through you. That's true. And I'm looking at a temperature of 48 degrees outside, but still a a comfortable 82 inside the office because of all of the various equipment and GPUs and stuff I have running. So I'm a guy that uses AC nearly every day. Moving on, let's talk a little bit about what happened at SC, but this is kind of a bit of SC under the covers. And I'd like to start out with that. This is on background and not going to talk about any specific vendors or products or anything, but this supply chain is becoming an issue if it's not already. What do you mean by what did issue, you see? Dan? What do you see, Jan? Well, we um, at the Mighty Intersect 360, we reduced our guidance, our forecast for 2021, because we started hearing rumors and rumblings that supply chain issues, in other words, the ability to get particular components, were holding up shipments and holding up deals. And we made a point of asking pretty much everyone we met with in the Whisper Suites if supply chain was affecting real-life deals for them. And the answers we came back with were yes and yes. They are hurting. So if issue is on a magnitude, how bad is this? Hard to say. They wouldn't really quantify it. But for some of them, they said that just getting, for instance, InfiniBand cables Wait till that. Wait till next March or April for that. Wow. I mean, That's you know, there are lots big. of parts in, in, in various HPC systems. It only takes one to yeah. not be able to install it. And whether it's, you know, your storage, your memory, your CPU, your you know, what, it, the, the cable, thing is, whatever. The thing is, Henry, is it's not like, you know, drives and, uh, CPUs or GPUs or motherboards, it's the little things. It's capacitors, it's cables, it's things that you wouldn't think about. I mean, we think about the big 
expensive components. Those are manageable. It's the tiny little things you don't think about, even parts of racks and stuff like that. Although that's fairly easily. No one called it out, but I wouldn't be surprised. Or the parts to build a power supply. That, I think, is tougher. So what is this going to do to HPC, both like as an industry and as a community long term? Or is it, well, it's not just HPC, Jesse, if what he's saying. No. Yeah, ev- it's, everybody. It's, I'm saying HPC due to the nature but, of the show. Yeah. But yeah. computing as a whole. Rest of them to go to, can just go to hell as far as you're concerned, yeah, the Jesse. The cool it's kids are HPC, HPC Henry. Mm-hmm. Well, we lowered our forecast from, we were looking at a 16% growth rate this year. We th- figured this was the bounce back year. We've cut that down to 6% and 6 to 12%. And that depends on whether Frontier goes in for revenue, because that's going to be about 400, 450 million revenue for HPC. It's not going to hit this calendar year. So we're looking at more towards the 6% growth rate, which is very low for us. And what is the speculation that this is going to be resolved? Or do, we even, do we even have an inkling of when that might be? Well, we've got to get the whole supply chain sort of filled back up, but there's a problem there in that, you know, a lot of the parts that we're looking for are current technology or older technology. And it doesn't really pay for a vendor to build a new production line to take care of higher demand for current or old technology. What they do is they build the new lines and invest their money for the new stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And what's going to happen is they're going to fulfill demand as they can, but I don't see anybody building new capacity to provide old tech. The price is going Which means a complete redesign of your product with the new tech and or a complete substitute. A substitute and or, you know, you substitute a part, you've got to requalify it, which takes time. So not only is this going to have an impact on future systems, but it's also going to screw over current and and older systems when things break or need upgrades. Usually vendors sock away parts for for breakage. Upgrades, not so much, but breakage. Generally, you know, I've seen over my career, they're always socked away, you know, no matter what. But if you you can get the supply. Well... Yes, if you can get the supply and you haven't shipped it because you have to, you've already sold it and you don't have something else. Yeah, this is it's just generally I said, but not always. Yeah. It it's just not a good thing. This the supply chain thing is is a lot of a lot of balancing acts going on there. And one of the and, things you have to keep in mind, Jesse, is that the whole world of business and supply chain has radically shifted over the past 20 years back when I was well, not quite that far back, but when I was doing my MBA, it was all about just in time. You don't want to hold any inventory that you don't need. You don't want any work in progress that you don't absolutely have to have. And pretty much everybody's embraced that religion. So we don't have huge stockpiles of stuff. So what has caused the supply chain shortage? Obviously, it's a myriad of issues, but is this just-in-time mentality part of it? I think that's part of it, but bigger part of it, of course, is COVID. Right. And you can't staff what your factory if you're on a lockdown. What is not? It is not related to that virus. But if you can't staff your factory, you can't run your lines. If you can't run your lines, nothing comes out the other end. And then you have to 
stack that up because every component is made up of other components. Like Henry was talking about power supplies. I mean, how many different things would you estimate are in a power supply? How many different discrete items? I think it's probably 40 or 50. (laughs) At least. Just off the top of my head. And some of those are made by the power supply vendor, but a lot of those are outsourced someplace else coming from somebody else. And any one thing that's missing there means that power supply can't ship. Mm-hmm. Correct. And, and finding new parts for power supplies when, you know, what is a power supply on a, a, a server today? Uh, probably three or $400 maybe. I don't maybe know. Maybe at most, at most, I think at volume, it'd be like a hundred. Well, no, not at the titanium ones where you, cause you have to have the, uh, the, uh, you know, okay. Yeah. Depends so on yeah. Depends on what size power supply you're talking about and what efficiency. But right, it's it's an insidious problem, and it's damn hard to track all this through if you're doing logistics for your your build of material. Right, and it's going to be damn hard to get out of the hole. Yes, because I mean, what will happen? economically is that prices are going to go up and they're going to go up in some cases by a lot. And then people look for substitutes and then new vendors are attracted to that area. But we're talking about long time scales here. And guess what happens when that happens, Dan? What happens when that happens, Henry? Innovation. Yes. Innovation can be forced out of this, which is a so good thing. So this might thing. not be a negative thing completely. In the short term, it's a very negative thing. In the long term, it could be it could end up being positive. Is what I've seen. In the, in the fullness past. of time, it absolutely will be positive. Oh, but that's I would a say great in the line, the f- fullness don't you of like time, fullness of the time, time like it'll the, all be okay, listeners. Don't in worry. The, <laughs> exactly. In the fullness of time, it will all be okay. But in the short, and I would say the medium term, it's going to be painful. It's kind of like the motto on one of the websites I go to, Zero Hedge. They say, on a long enough timeline, the survival rate for everyone drops to zero. <laughs> That's their tagline. Nicely done. Beautiful. So what a time to be alive. So <laughs> let's talk about happier things. Yes, Composability. Please. One of the themes that ran through many of the meetings I had, and I think I met with everybody that had anything to do with composability, their topic was, of course, composability. And What What is composable infrastructure, Dan? Thank you for setting that up. Composability is is having the ability to disaggregate and then re-aggregate components, memory, GPUs, FPGAs, stuff like that, so that they're available to other non-local systems. Okay. Can you give me an example of that to help me wrap my head around it? Well, let's say that in your organization, there's a group that has a, a really cool server that's got a bunch of GPUs on it, but not everybody has access to that server and those GPUs aren't utilized all that much. And I I think there's a lot of that exact example out there. Using composability, other systems not in that cluster would be able to utilize those GPUs using specialized PCIe connectors. Mm, Okay. And they would see them as if they're local. 
But the challenge of composability and, and thing that they've got to solve is optical connect. Because it's all about composability, if you disaggregate memory, is about, you know, I have this big wall of memory over here and you just, mm-hmm. you know, connected your, your system to it. It's latency. Yes. So the need for optical to reduce the impact of latency is going to be critical. And, you know, they've been talking about Gen Z for quite a few years. Yep. A lot of yep. years. And there's a lot of challenges on composability at scale for HPC applications, maybe not commercial applications where you're just spinning up a VM and, you know, this VM needs this much memory and, you know, you're running Microsoft Office or something like that. I get that. And that you don't have a latency problem. But when you're pounding on memory or pounding on the GPU or pounding on storage, latency matters. Absolutely. And particularly in the memory case, and these things are all NUMA aware, but there's a lot of non-uniformity going out if you're going out to a lot of separate systems over PCIe. The example of what could be done today, learned from Gen Z and CXL, who, by the way, are merging, probably, which is just makes sense. But that on a local system, you've probably got, you know, if you max out the memory on it, you've got uh, two terabytes of RAM, DRAM. But what you can do today with them is use like DRAM in PCIe cards or like Intel Optane and merge all that memory together into one coherent memory space, which would give you up to my calculations, eight terabytes. Eight terabytes isn't a lot. You can do eight terabytes in a lot of the big servers, Dan. You know, I looked at that, Henry, and I I just kind of did a quick look around, and I was looking at like a super micro that had enough slots, and they said it topped out at eight terabytes, and so I kind of took that as an average garden variety server. But whatever amount of memory you have on your motherboard, you could add easily six like 1.5 terabyte Optane drives and blend it all together or maybe eight with a specialized There's some guy I just read about it build a four terabyte Raspberry Pi for some reason. (laughs) Why the hell? (laughs) Wouldn't wouldn't it take like three hours just to post with that slow (laughs) processor and that much memory? Just, I have, Dan, again, I just report things. You just report, yeah. I just... (laughs) Yeah, I'm just thinking about, that's a really awesome thing. It's like putting, (laughs) let me see, it's like putting monster truck tires on an old Chevy Vega. Yeah, (laughs) it looks cool. It's really high, but you don't have enough engine to even roll those tires. I thought like a a gremlin, gremlin, same kind of thing. BW bug. (laughs) Yeah, yep. Yep, you don't have enough horsepower to roll the tires, but it looks yeah. really cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I have a question about composable computing. What are yeah. the benefits of using composable computing over instead just picking a cloud provider where you could ask and get what you need? Clouds, three to seven times more expensive for one. Mm, okay. And guess what? The clouds want to do composable computing to save yeah. money. Yeah, clouds I mean, that way you definitely want that. Yeah. So when you're talking about using mm -hmm. composable computing in the local space and how the issue is composable computing at scale, what do you mean by 
local and what is scale? Well, scale would be outside of your own little local node. Okay. So we're talking about how composable computing could be helpful for like campus size, or are we shrinking that even farther to like a data center size? Data center rack to rack, probably. Okay. Taking in three or four racks, maybe. But you're getting towards the limits of where they think it can go right now. But where I think it's really important is like that GPU example. GPUs cost a lot of money. And if you bought them for one application, and if they're not, they don't have a high average utilization rate, then you're wasting a lot of money. And I think that that there are a lot of situations out there. And I don't know, what do you think, Henry? But it seems to me there's a lot of folks out there that are finding that they're not using expensive things like GPUs as much on average as they could, but they can't easily open it up to others. Correct. And the other thing is there are sometimes an application needs it would benefit from an odd number of GPUs. So maybe you yeah. have an application that could benefit from 12 GPUs and the most you can fit in your server that you have is it's four. Eight or four. Yeah, or four. exactly. And then they could benefit from 12. And then their scaling ends. So getting the 12 to them without buying a new server or some kind of a PCI Express extension so you can put more slots doesn't make sense for one application for one time. Yeah. And if you can compose that up out of a whole cluster that has 20, 30 systems that have four GPUs each, you just borrow those GPUs. And you don't, you don't, need, the, you don't need the memory. You don't need the CPU. All you need is the GPUs. Yeah. And you could, somebody else could borrow the memory, for instance. Correct. That's the promise of it. It's higher efficiency. It gets back to my first real job in here. I don't know if it's efficiency, it's utilization. Well, it's a higher utilization play, and it's somewhat synonymous with efficiency, but that's where I, that was my first real job in the industry was driving that kind of consolidation. And I just remember as a, you know, freshly minted MBA being shocked that these Unix pizza boxes that they were spending five, 10, 15 grand each on were being, had an average utilization, CPU utilization of, you know, 5%, 3%, 7%. And it's like, why can't this stuff be virtualized? Well, there's a lot so of reasons it can't computing be. is going to provide the ability to get more bang for your buck, essentially, is what you're saying. Precisely. Yes. Have we yep. beaten that to death? It's pretty much. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's dead. But it's it's a good technology and it's overdue. Glad there, to see Jesse, it. Jesse, there are still a lot of challenges. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, PCI was not built to do this kind of thing. These are unnatural acts for PCI. I don't necessarily agree with that statement. There, there, were, there were thoughts in PCI of DMA and being able to address other memory. I'm not so sure I agree that with that yeah. oldest statement. Got to be bold, Henry. I got to be bold. But you don't have you know to, that you about be, me. But you can be wrong and bold and versus right and bold. It's the Lanham family motto that. that we have is not always right, but never in doubt. And that's you can like my that motto to yourself. Not Dan. always, not Go always correct. Not always correct, but always certain. <laughs> that's mine. Let's move on. One of my surprises at the show, I had a, a longish meeting with Oracle talking about their HPC cloud, and I'm 
surprised that they don't have a higher profile in the HPC cloud space. Well, Dan, do you see Oracle out there as an HPC, historically HPC company? That's a big, nope, that's a, that's a big you know, hill to climb out of the blue. It is. It is. And totally agree. I heaped all sorts of abuse on them when they came back into HPC and said, we're going to stay. And they have stayed, and that's good. But they're, in my mind, they're doing some things right. First of all, I got I to gotta say, I am not a huge believer in clouds for HPC. I think for like four different things, they're a good idea. And that's for bursting, or if you have a special job that has needs some equipment that you don't have, or if it's on a real short timeline, or if you want to tire kick new hardware, because they've got the newest stuff the firstest, or if you're doing test and development. I think that's all good stuff for HPC Cloud. I don't believe that people should, or that there's any benefit to wholesale moving HPC jobs off to the cloud. It's going to be way more expensive. You're going to have less flexibility. On-prem is the best solution for that. Dan, I'll give you a comment on that. Please. Just so you know. One of the reasons I think that HPC cloud vendors are developing their own chips and their own technologies is to differentiate themselves and to solve one of the comments you made is they, they're going to build, develop technology that potentially could be faster than you can buy and put on-prem. It's going to need to be, again, three to seven times faster, and it's going to need to be much more flexible than what they have now. And they're going to need to be able to make it available. So there are, you know, hundreds and thousands of nodes of it available at any given time. And those are big mountains to climb. There are big mountains, but they, they look at every cloud vendors developing their own chips. Yeah, they got the volume to do that. And that makes sense. But is the ecosystem coming? Are they going to be bringing an ecosystem with them too? That's important. Don't know. Yeah. We'll find out. So what did you like specifically about Oracle's presentations, Dan? Well, it's predictable performance because it's bare metal, mm, right? Okay. You don't have these hypervisors like you do with Azure and Google and Amazon, that their whole deal is bare metal all the time. They have standardized instantiations that are the same everywhere, which is good. They put in a bunch of redundancy because their whole enterprise side and database, that's all mission critical stuff. So that's just how they do a cloud is with, you know, I don't want to say fault tolerant, but with some significant redundancy in there. Where do they stack up in terms of pricing when it comes to competing against the likes of Amazon? Well, that's their big thing. They are aiming squarely at Amazon, which is the right place to aim given Amazon's dominance. And they say that, on small, lightly used instances, they're about 74% cheaper. And they put a lot of documentation behind that. The more you use, the more you save, to quote Jensen Wang. They also don't try and make a mint on data egress, which is pulling data out of the cloud. That's something that most customers... Do they have long-term storage? Because that's the, one of the key issues is once you get your data up there, you want to keep yeah, it there. You do. You do. And, and actually, given 
one of the things that we're recommending at Intersect, actually, I think you'll find this interesting, Henry, is that you keep, we suggest that anything you send to the cloud, you keep a copy of it on-prem, just in case you want to move it or you, you know, to change, avoid those or, or, egress or, charges and yeah, keep and it up to date. Your, and change your, and you want to change vendors. Yes. Yeah. Your data is not, your data, which is your intellectual property, is not hostage. Yes. But to answer your question, Jesse, yeah, they are really pitching the price performance. So you think you're going to see more people switching over to Oracle because of these things that they offer? Or do you think you're going to continue to see Amazon dominate purely because they're Amazon? Short term, Amazon's going to dominate. I think that they need to, I think Oracle needs to do more and a better job of marketing it because I think that this does appeal to the sweet spot. In, in HPC clouds. And they've got some wins, recent wins with both Toyota and Nissan that helped bolster that case. So it's something to watch. I think we watch that. So, you know, hearing that sound now that's coming on Henry's theme music, Henry, is there any reason why nobody should ever be online again, ever? Basically, no one on the planet Earth with the latest thing I, I, I found should ever be online. And the whole planet Earth, ever. Wow. That's a big one, so I think. It's a, this is a big one, a really big one. Basically, and I think in the pre-call, you said it best. It's kind of interesting comment. You do a denial of service attack on a memory dim, and then you can control the other memory in that dim and take control of the, the process that's, in, that's running memory in the dim and therefore control the whole machine. So if you can get into someone's computer with some, you know, virus, Java app, whatever. Email. Just email. PDF attachment. There you go. Yeah. Or, you know, or, you just or perhaps an innocent podcast like this one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. They could, you know, it could happen. So you just pound the dim really, really hard. And if there are like the, the, the operating system app is happens to be in the dim, you can change the bits and go uh, go control things, everything. And this I put has the, been around I, a while, right? It has been around a while, but not been talked about at all. I put why for obvious reasons, Jesse. There might because be because it's just too scary. Now. Yeah, I put <laughs> no, the. Oh, it's too scary! Don't talk about it. Exactly. Yeah, I put the I put the CVE in the uh, chat. You can pass it out to the vendors. It's CVE 2021-42114. Look it up, get scared, and patch your systems. I don't think you could patch your way out of this from what I read the article you sent. There are things you can do to mitigate. Okay. But there's really I mean, this is one of those flaws that everybody has said, yep, that's out there. At least in this yep. latest article. Yep, yep, we got that. And yeah. we, yeah, fix we it, know about dude. it. Yeah, we nope. know. <laughs> but, but yeah. I mean, on the other hand, somebody has to be inside your system, but that's not as hard as we. As it think. used to be. <laughs> yeah. As it used to be. As this long is as people are still. Cybersecurity. Yeah, as long as everybody's opening up phishing attempts and things like that. That's frightening, Henry. So they just I, I, DDA, I, they beat your memory into submission. It flips a bit, and you own it. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Well, on that dispiriting note, 
note voice of doom, Henry Newman, as he <laughs> usually is. Let's go ahead and call that an episode of Radio Free HPC. Thank you all out there for listening. I, I met a lot of you, maybe almost 16 of you at SC21, and really appreciate you listening. Stay tuned for more, and we will have some more content headed at you real soon. Bye-bye. Yay! Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. Reach out to us on email at podcast at Radio Free HPC or via Twitter at Radio Free HPC. As a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thanks again for listening.